4: so much to talk so let me just be clear with you guys i was a little bit sick the last two days and i did a feverish amount of watching the shining and shining videos and so you know when like you research something maybe a little bit too much and it gets in your brain and you have fever dreams that's what i did last night except it was the shining and boy oh boy i want out (laughs) it was a fucking lot uh but i'm excited because this has been a this has been an episode i've wanted to do for a long time i've had a lot of stuff up in the old brain here i sent y'all a little outline of what i got in store so uh it's very exciting welcome to quality time the madness now begins i am one third of your host the man with uh a uh a bright sheen and a small peen mr eric woodworth uh i'm also (laughs) joined i almost made ashley spit out of the gate let's go uh uh but i'm joined by my blood my brother jeremy jeremy how are you sir are you talking about oh jesus who is joining (laughs) us on the program It, it is me Stanley Kubrick. Oh, Stanley Kubrick! Uh, the events of my movie are quite inconsequential. <laughs> you, you, you can tell by my voice; it's actually Stanley
5: Kubrick. Oh no, it's actually John Malkovich.
4: Oh no, John Malkovich! Oh, Uh-oh. look at this. I'm
5: I'm John Malkovich pretending to be Stanley Kubrick.
4: <laughs> this is this is so much worse than actual Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> if only I was in a movie as stanley kubrick oh well we'll try to solve your kubrick's cube uh with the help (laughs) of the very lovely the very talented miss ashley pontius ashley how are you
6: i'm good but i just had a thought Mm -hmm. you know i realized just now that i poop like wendy's ash hanging on to her cigarette i'm just like come on just drop off just i know you're gonna drop off and it just it just hangs on
4: for a while I've seen those videos. They're very entertaining. Thank I you. I love... Yeah, that is the most intense part of this movie is watching uh, Sweet Wendy's Ash and how it never falls over. Much like, you know, you're waiting for that big 9-11 moment when the tower crumbles and you don't get it. Have, have, yes. I don't <laughs> have either of you have not not even
5: heard or seen the uh, the Stanley Kubrick movie where... Uh, John Malkovich plays Stanley Kubrick as a guy to try and get free
4: drinks from people. No, uh, I'm not what? familiar with anything. Um, <laughs> I recognize some of the words that you said there, but no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I
5: forget what the name of the movie was, but he, he's pretending to be Stanley Kubrick when when uh, some guy finally calls him out. <laughs> he's like, okay. "Oh, what about that movie that you were that, that you did with Stanley?" And he's like. Oh yeah, I did that. No, you're fucking lying. You're not Stanley Kubrick.
6: <laughs> you know, I pretend to be a woman so that men buy me drinks, and uh, guess what? It Doesn't work.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it does work. The entire state of Delaware, where Ashley, you just came back from. <laughs> uh, tell us about your uh, trip up to the to the first state.
6: Yeah, let me let me first say though. That normally I would say nine out of 10, this being the one time. I have been very lucky that every time I've done shows in Delaware, like they always sell out. I always have hot crowds, big crowds. Like I've never been disappointed. This show
3: was
4: the Joe Biden of comedy shows. Um,
1: it, it fell down very quickly.
4: It? <laughs> yeah. It, it Everyone's didn't. sons were smoking crack in the uh, parking lot
5: was it's it funny. was it was it like a show where you fall down and you have to be picked up yeah so um eric was kind of close
6: because i did go ham at one point on this audience and talked about how ugly they were and i was like your smiles look like the new york times crossword puzzle cuz there's a lot of blank spaces <laughs>
5: oh shit <laughs> If you only have a good a good comedy show at a mental hospital or the screaming retards in, in the audience. <laughs> it it
6: escalated. Okay, so not only is it painful to hear from the booker and the club or like the venue that I am one of the only shows to not sell out right. I'm the headliner. And I'm like, thank you so much for letting me know that I'm not gonna go kill myself in your bathroom. <laughs> Um, so, so then Hell yeah. I get tag team heckled by two separate couples and not, and by the way, not mean heckling, positive heckling. That's actually
4: is, worse. I actually hate that. It's a hundred
6: percent worse. It's a hundred percent worse. Because if they're worse. being mean, I will fucking bury you and not feel bad about it. But like my audience is too small for me to kick out four people. Yeah. <laughs> like
4: it's... I like to call those hecklers, I call them Captain Helpful. Uh, They're always always there to help. You know what? I'm really here to help your joke because jokes don't require timing and things like that. I'm here to
6: add. They are stepping back and forth. It's two separate couples on either side of the room. They are ping-ponging stepping all over my punchlines. I can't get through a fucking joke and I can feel the unmedicated because I didn't start my meds last week sorry <laughs> boys I can feel the mm-hmm. the crazy part of my brain winding up like a children's car toy where you crank it and then you just let it go I can feel me winding up and I can hear like an alarm going off in my brain Going wee woo, wee woo. Yeah, yes. Yes, it's like I can hear the A-bomb dropping in the back of my mind. Thank you for the music, Eric. It is like the over I am Jack <laughs> Torrance, who's about to melt down. So I interrupt myself and and just go fucking berserk. And I go, hey, I am this close. To putting a gun between someone's lips, and for once it's not gonna be my own. Jesus Christ.
4: <laughs> Everybody for, for, goes, Oh man. You're <laughs> really <laughs> how, did, how did that work out? Were they excited? <laughs> did they shut up after that? Um, they got very
6: upset because the one couple in the front goes, our friend just killed himself. And I said, Yeah, if I
4: knew you two, <laughs> I'd kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was like oh my God. that's funny i've only known you for about 30 minutes and i want to do the same thing
6: well, you, know, you know what i said to the other couple then at the other side of the bar who wouldn't shut up either i was like i saw you from across the bar and i really hate your vibes <laughs> like, <laughs> i was like shut the fuck up do you guys are you all just swingers like go bang oh so then the one couple turned out isn't the couple They're coworkers who are married, and they're without their spouses. And I just Mm. interrupt them as they're as I'm engaging with them, and I go, "Cheating! You're cheating." Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) And they turned around, and I was like, "Hey, normally when you cheat, you pick someone um hotter, uh, (laughs) but who you're married to." But good call. I just I just lost my fucking shit, but I still got paid. Hey,
4: that's the trick, man. Hell yeah. Well, Uh, uh, you know what? Hey, listen. I think let's not blame the whole state of Delaware. You've had a good run of shows. I think let's yeah. call this one. It's all Delaware's a fault. Uh, or yeah, also fuck Delaware. I mean, we don't have a lot of listeners there. Fuck them. You know, you, you know uh, who else is from Delaware? Biden. Yeah, he's biding his time right now. Uh, Jeremy, you're be biding your time. Uh, show you got a bunch of shows coming up. Tell us a little bit about that.
5: I can keep from. Him- getting my
4: glasses off the floor. Yeah, no, I'm Perfect.
5: very excited. I'm very excited about the uh Brad Williams uh
4: uh show at McGooby's cuz just cuz I'm going to it. You do, <laughs> you do love a little person and uh and a specific one, Brad Williams. Does Brad Williams recognize you when he sees you now cuz you've watched seen him so many times, followed him into the parking lot, picked him up unwillingly
5: yeah he, he hates it when I throw him up in the grand air he really gets <laughs> angry like you wouldn't believe uh yeah I finally I finally DM'd him <laughs> my performance at Mgooby's as a Vietnam Tom but uh I'm sure he
4: loved that <laughs> so you
5: DM'd him
6: you deep midgeted him yeah. yes
5: I de- deep midgeted him <laughs> uh and also i also said hey if you if you go to monster mania maybe maybe you can meet uh greg nicotero he isn't uh, dm'd back i guess i I overdid it so but uh no monster mania it's uh elijah woods Corey feldman nicotero uh warrington gillette and my favorite man man for man for fredini the uh, soundtrack uh, Yeah, gosh, from, uh,
4: from uh, Friday the
5: 13th. Friday Great. the 13th. And also, uh, that weekend, I would be killing myself because I just found out that Classic Monsters not only has the Osborns the nun, Aaron's uh, that chick. Okay, and, so this is a uh, different
4: this is a different con different show. Mania. Same, the same
5: day? Same fucking weekend at uh, Valley Forge, uh, but uh, Patrick, David Patrick Kelly... My favorite uh, non-warrior with the with the uh, the beer bottles, but also he was the uh, the bad guy from Dreamsgate, and also <gasps> also he bad- played
4: Kinky Kelly from Clerks too. So, the,
5: no, the, the bad guy, <laughs> the bad guy from uh, from C- Commando that he gets dropped off a cliff.
4: Yeah, with remember uh, when I uh, said I was going to kill you last? I
5: lied, Sally. <laughs> Sally. <laughs> and I found out. I found out just minutes. Before this pod bot, bot podcast, that an uh, Elfman Elfman brother is going to be there, i.e., Danny Elfman's brother. Oh, oh man! And the next movie that I'm choosing is is uh, by the way has to be has to be the director of Forbidden Zone, one of the worst cult movies of all time by okay. by Danny Elfman's brother with Hervey Village. So, Wait,
6: R- is is the movie Forbidden Zone? yes okay
4: <laughs> jeremy um, it's amazingly bad <laughs> jeremy when you meet the guy from commando sully right when you meet yes. him um yes. he's a hey remember when i was gonna say i when i was gonna get you autograph last i lied i'm gonna go meet ken Forey right after this <laughs> 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 we you gonna do that <laughs>
5: Uh, that's a good line. I'll, I'll I'll buy it. I mean, you're you're a celebrity now. You're a Baltimore celebrity on Stop commercials on let's, TV.
6: Let's make it more nonsensical. Go, <laughs> go meet the guy from Commando and be like,
4: "Who is your brother and what does he do?" And you're like Danny Elfman. I'm like, no, the other guy. No, please don't show me any more regular Elfman films. Excuse. <laughs> I uh, Call he... it kindergarten cock. Yes,
5: <laughs> that's a good that's a good porn.
4: Kindergarten cock <laughs> is
5: it's. Uh, what does your bad next... daddy do, and who does he do to your mom? I
4: mean... uh, pretty sure Chris Hansen <laughs> comes in in the next scene. Uh...
6: <laughs> <laughs> our mom says our dad's a real sex machine. <laughs> that was, but it's the twins from The Shining. <laughs>
5: daddy's have a penis and mommies have a vagina and they watch
4: <laughs> hope i don't get buried in a pet cemetery um
6: <laughs> can i just say real quick because i know we're all over the place today but we're having yeah. fun <laughs> I, ha- I have to say that my favorite part of the shining is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts is the guy giving the blowjob in the bear costume?
4: Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten <laughs> would receive. Um, <laughs> that's that is good. Well, you know what? I don't have a lot of backstories. You guys got anything else? Because I'm gonna hop right into today's topic. Right. We are doing uh, a wonderful episode where I have been deep in research all year and then tried to slam it all together for today. In preparation for Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, and now, if you're uh, a, a avid listener of the show, uh, you know that we kind of watch movies or whatever, and then we kind of like break it down. We're coming in. Not a full movie breakdown, but more along the theories that surround The Shining and the things that have come out from it. Um, I started out the year, though, I, uh, I actually read the Stephen King novelization of the book, which I had never read before, by the way great book if you've never read if you've never read uh, uh, Stephen King's The Shining uh, it is a 10 out of 10 it, it's one of the best books I would say uh, written from three different perspectives it's written from the mm-hmm. perspective of Wendy Danny and uh, uh, Jack Torrance in the uh, in the book and I really think it shows a wonderful breakdown of a marriage so if you ever want to really read it and uh, hear how both sides are thinking the whole book through take uh, Ten out of ten. Highly recommend. Yeah, go for it. Can I what? can I
5: can I can I ask the most important question from The Shining? Sure. Where is Randall? When where is
4: Randall Flagg in The Shining? <laughs> that is a good point. Uh, he's not in there, but I appreciate. Uh, it, what if What if he is the hotel? What if he is a giant hedge lion? Did you ever think of that? Did you think he was, was just, just a bush? <laughs> I was
6: just gonna say. I love the book, but why would I read a book about a dissolving marriage when I get to watch two of them
4: every Sunday? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so, uh <laughs> But uh my, my marriage isn't dissolving just because I, I I'll die any minute, whatever. <laughs> But there were... uh, uh, Stephen King has historically uh, said how much he hates this Stanley Kubrick film. And Mm -hmm. I have a clip of Stephen King talking about his general distaste for the Kubrick classic here.
0: Uh, Stanley Kubrick knew that I had a problem with The Shining. Uh, I had a discussion with him beforehand. Uh, He said, Stephen, Stanley Kubrick here. Don't you agree that all stories of ghosts are fundamentally optimistic. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if there are ghosts, it means we survive death. And that's fundamentally an optimistic view, isn't it? And I said, well, Mr. Kubrick, what about hell? And there was a long pause on the telephone line. And then he said in a very stiff and very different voice, I don't believe in hell. (coughs) And I thought to myself, well, that's fine. But some of us do, and some of us believe that ghosts may survive and that may be hell and that was sort of where I was coming from with The Shining but in the novel The Shining uh, Jack Torrance is a difficult character but he's fundamentally a, a sympathetic character and I always visualized him as a piece of metal that's bent first one way and the other by these malignant spirits who basically want his son because his son is a psychically powerful person. So I saw these all as warm characters, characters that were being threatened by forces from without, from ghosts, from real supernatural creatures, and the film is extremely cold. Stanley Kubrick saw the haunting is coming from Jack Torrance, from the Jack Nicholson character, whereas I always saw it from outside. So we had a fundamental difference of opinion about it i always thought that the real difference between my take on it and stanley kubrick's take on it was this in my novel the hotel burns in kubrick's movie the hotel freezes it's a difference between warmth and cold but the images are striking There's no doubt about it. I mean, Jack Nicholson's face in the doorway, his bearded, crazy, grinning face. He says, here's Johnny, which was his (laughs) ad lib, and it became, you know, part of the movie. So the images are striking, but to me, that's surface. It's not substance. So I used to describe The Shining, the film, as something like a beautiful car that had no engine in it.
4: Whoa. Mm. So Stephen King... Definitely did not have a good relationship with the great Stanley Kubrick, but uh, uh, I guess Kubrick didn't really help it. Uh, here's a clip from uh, the movie uh, Room 237, where a lot of the theories that we're going to get into uh, uh, come from. If you haven't seen it, it's free on Tubi. You can watch can, it. I highly recommend it. Can we can we say uh,
5: fundamentally uh, um, Stephen King is dumb? <laughs> and he made, made made a shitty version of the of, of the shining which is much better
4: then, then um so th- yes. i definitely don't think that the stephen king novel is shitty in any way i think it's fucking great as a standalone piece i also think that this stanley kubrick movie is a great standalone piece that is kind of that is based upon that literature so uh i i like both and i think they're both very different it's like trying to compare two flavors of ice cream it's, uh, it's chocolate it's versus night, vanilla. night and
5: day it's night and day as as movies go uh, the The Shining is much better with Kubrick, and the and the the Stephen King Garris version sucks ass. Well, it's so it's, amazingly bad. You're like, <clears throat> oh, let's make the worst casting a movie can possibly be with the guy from Wings. And Robert no, don't you, <laughs> don't you shit on my Stephen Weber. <laughs> don't you shit on my Stephen Weber. Don't you care.
6: No, I agree. No, trust me, I agree. There was a lot that went wrong with the TV miniseries that was made. I don't mm. disagree. I totally agree with Eric that I am a huge fan of the movie, bigger fan of the book. I love both. And I think Stephen was actually being stood up for himself. But I think he also did a great job of trying to sort of also be peaceful and saying, hey, look, the movie is stunning. Like the movie is is beautiful. We have difference of opinion of how we saw the movie, because I think a lot of Stephen's work, because he's shockingly a very religious person. I think with Stephen when he when he writes his characters and with this book he sees people as hopefully redeemable even at their their death or like their last moments they're redeemable people. Kubrick, if you look at all of his other movies, including this one, very much irredeemable people, very dark, um, very selfish, narcissistic personalities. So I, I do think they just vu- viewed the text differently. I just. Oh, and a- also
5: I wanted to say the uh, the 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 religious fundamentalist of his where the the the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the overlook burns whereas the, the the cubic version he freezes which is also a, another form of hell where it's like well everything slows down but you're also in time and you're suffering... Yeah,
4: uh, eternally, but you're still frozen, which is e- equally <laughs> equally uh, hellish. So, well, I I'd like to expound upon it. Um, I I think listen, Jeremy, he's going to be a huge proponent of the Kubrick film. I happen to like both, So does Ashley, and I think both are okay. Uh, but
5: uh, I, I stopped I stopped watching halfway
4: through the uh, the miniseries. I'm like, I can't watch it. Well, you should honestly, I, the miniseries I, I doesn't it. even I, do I, justice I, to the book, though. You should just read the book once, man. You'd probably like it. I I even I even met the director
5: of the, the mini series Shining. Well, I will also say
6: real quick because Eric has a clip to play for us to get back to the beef sort of between mm. these two. But what I will say as well is maybe it's more of a film not not that Kubrick would ever be known for making sequels because that was not his bag. Mm-hmm. But freezing the hotel is interesting because that is almost a movie type thing to do that sets you more so up for a sequel. Than it does with the burning, say, of something. The burning, seeming more finite, ending destruction. Where freezing, just like you said, Jeremy kind of suspending it in time waiting for someone to wake it up again
5: oh yeah if you watch the uh, doctor sleep with the, the magical box that uh, yeah which <laughs> I love Danny puts demons in the box so. yeah you just I love
4: some... doctor sleep doctor sleep is a fun sequel that we're not gonna probably have time to get into but mm-hmm. uh does is a direct sequel to this uh shining movie now uh here's a uh, here's a little bit from room 237 about um how much Steve how much Kubrick wanted to put his thumbprint on this
3: film really the deviations drove Stephen King out of his mind. Uh, He just ranted and ranted for years how much he hated The Shining. And he hated it because he'd given Kubrick all this great source material, and Kubrick threw it out. And and the whole um, idea of this is best exemplified by the scene where Dick Halloran is driving up the highway trying to get to the Overlook during a winter storm and he passes a wreck and in the wreck a semi has, has crashed and, 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 and crushed a red Volkswagen and this is a direct message from Kubrick to King because in the novel Jack Torrance's car is a red Volkswagen, but in the movie it's a yellow Volkswagen. And what Kubrick is saying in that scene is a big F.U. to Stephen King. He's saying, this is my vehicle, I have wrecked your vehicle, and everybody in the world can see it.
4: There you go. So, um, Jeremy, here's how I would equate it to you. Like, imagine if Tom Myers uh, made Baby Eater. That's kind of what this, like, if I were to equate it to your world. (laughs) He's like, no, it's about uh, babies eating things. And uh, I've ruined your project. This is mine now.
5: Uh baby eater, it it (laughs) is the best car wreck I will ever make, and I will make it the better car wreck that I could possibly
4: make. So um Oh, when 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 do we get to the Nazi stuff? Uh Nazis are coming up very soon. Don't worry. We're gonna do we're gonna go You
6: you could call Rosemary's baby baby eater.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So um uh it's worth noting uh just a couple things that uh Mm -hmm. stanley kubrick himself has uh made many many a great film from 2001 of space odyssey uh you know on through to his final well i think his first movie was spartacus yes with uh the great uh kirk douglas uh the man was one of his bigger ones uh
5: pads of glory was, was before spartacus
4: so uh uh if this is a this is a man with a uh, uh, a two hundred IQ uh, who would be considered a genius by most standards. Um, uh, also, uh, the by the way, center. I don't think we have a two hundred IQ if we combined all of ours together right now. So I mean, pretty hurtful. <laughs> okay, if you combine Jeremy and also, I, we also- might equal Ashley's. Um-
6: <laughs> my IQ my IQ may not be over two hundred, but my weight sure is. <laughs>
5: We're like Ikewa. I, um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just realized I've met five people from The Shining, but my one of my favorites was Joe Turkle, the uh, the bartender, who was also in the original uh, Pads of Glory. Shout out, Turkle. All right.
6: What is Pads of Glory? Because all I'm assuming is that they're just really extravagant period pieces. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah yes. It's it's uh, whatever that really boring movie he made. That was the original. Uh,
6: it's uh, a trilogy, Pads of Glory. Always
4: with wings. Yes. (laughs) It it wasn't even color. It was in black and white. What crap? All these pads are lit with candlelight. What is Kubrick doing? Um, (laughs) Um, Eyes wide shut. Alternate title is Tampax with three X's. Yeah. (laughs) So what we're going to try to outline, though, are the are the major Conspiracies slash subtext to this movie, um, but first it's worth mentioning uh, some continuity errors because if we're to believe that he's a super genius, um, continuity errors uh, and a perfectionist on top of that. There are multiple continuity errors in the movie. Um, one is in near the opening where they go through Danny's door and there's a picture of Dopey that ends up disappearing in another scene. Um, most famously, that we will definitely talk about as we. Move along is the uh uh the scene where he is in the colorado room um and jack is typing and a chair disappears while he's talking with wendy oh, also all also these special little things that
5: kubrick supposedly did i'd like to say that you know maybe Danny did a fucking sticker on the fucking door yeah
6: (laughs) oh oh my god right like I have to agree with Jeremy that there are some of these conspiracies and ideas that we'll get into as a group that I'm just gonna we all agree I think I can just flat out say some of these are so ridiculous that I'm like not everything has a deeper meaning is it possible that people are also just stupid
4: yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) uh, there's the switch in the pantry as well as the, uh, the carpet flip scene for when he enters room 237 now I say all this as we get into this that i no matter what you get out of it i will say that if you look at this movie just from a purely artistic piece where you make a piece of art and the art is what it means to you i think more than anything i think that's what stanley kubrick's trying to make he wants to you to make you think it could be this it could be that you know what he didn't do tell you what it meant he wanted you to try to figure it out so uh i think we're doing exactly his intent and what he wanted ultimately um and ashley yes oh sorry i hurt myself trying to raise my hand (laughs) (laughs) see what politeness will get you
6: (laughs) god damn it i should just talked over the both of you oh god um so what what I wanted to say is I think you're you're absolutely right and when you talk about oh he didn't tell us I 100% agree because some of these commenters that they have these commentators on this documentary and we see this all the time people stating that things as if they are fact and not theory and then my favorite thing that gets said over and over again in this documentary mostly men but it's everybody on there is they go I know what you're thinking how did I i figure this out yeah (laughs) i just i'm so fucking smart um that i (laughs) i am just the one who was meant to figure out out this film i'm like yeah you know who else talks like that people who don't take their meds
4: that is true uh and we're off Uh, ours today the biggest (laughs) after after
5: what 40 almost 40 years of seeing the shining it took me almost 40 years to not recognize the biggest flaw of the shining is that the labyrinth is right in front of the hotel and it isn't there and then all of a sudden it's there that isn't there it's like how the fuck did we not it's the biggest flaw of the entire film
4: is it a flaw or is it actually part of it anyway we'll get to that as part of the maze so our main points that we're going to uh reach out to we're going to talk about uh nazis uh we're going to talk about a fake moon landing of course the maze uh some gags uh some freudian connections here uh and a little bit on the wendy theory near the end if we have time but first Probably the biggest and most obvious one, the Indians. <laughs> so Indians, uh, I'm going to play a little bit of audio clips, and then we shall uh, discuss. And they spent
2: a lot of time also down in Denver in the Colorado State Archives, finding out, as, as I would now expect, the full history of, of Colorado, which the flag of which plays a part, and the gold rush, the Colorado gold rush was also a very big event. And there's all there's still a lot of American Indian white people tension in Colorado with Navajos and Arapahos just, just to the south. This research team found out absolutely everything about Colorado, about Estes Park, about the Stanley Hotel, about its entire history, took photographs all over the place. Three months was the impression I have of what he said about how this, this research team gathered absolutely everything. Kubrick, unearthed an enormous amount about the real history of Colorado where this takes place because what he has done is found a way to dig into all of the patterns of our civilization our times and our cultures and and the things that we don't want to look at and this movie is very much also about denial of the genocides that we committed, uh, we, we white folk from Europe committed here. And, and not, that, not that white folks are the only people who do genocide all humans do, as Kubrick makes clear in this movie. He would research everything and the full history and nature of everything you're gonna see in the movie on the screen. And, and then boil it down and boil it down until he got the universal human and global patterns that, that make it so so real.
4: Uh, this is this next clip is a, a little some of the um, hidden messages about you know uh, this is just as important as the, the
5: conspiracy that right in in the camera and lens that all the
4: Indians that were killed by the uh, the juice drink Tang. So Yeah, look out. Tang is a big murderer here. Well, this, this next clip is going to outline uh, uh, this pantry shot where uh, you see these Calumet baking soda cans. If it pulls up.
2: That movie was about the genocide of the American Indians. And they said, what are you talking about? And I started explaining it because I'd noticed the, the Calumet baking soda can. in the first, the first time we see one, it's a single baking powder can straight on. And you can see the whole word, Calumet. So there's no duplicity, like the little girls represent later. This is an honest treaty, an honest peace pipe between them. The other time we see the Calumet baking powder cans is when they're very carefully placed behind Jack Nicholson's head when he's talking to Grady.
1: need to rub it in, Mr. Grady. I'll deal with that situation as soon as I get out of here
2: there's about six or seven of them stacked up, and they're all turned different ways, and you can't read any one of them completely. It's, I've always interpreted those as being broken, dishonest peace pipe treaties. They're not, they're, these two guys, Grady and, and Jack, are not being honest with each other. Grady is trying to get Jack to go kill his family and commit genocide <laughs> in the larger sense of the movie. You know, I mean, Kubrick often in many of his movies um he will end them with a puzzle, so that he forces you to go out of the theater, saying, "What was that about?"
5: So, uh, oh, by the way, you you kind of messed up the uh the film. You mentioned The Shining, but the movie's uh Room Two Three Seven. Y- yeah. Yeah, the documentary called uh, Room Two Three Seven, which we were doing so.
4: We've mentioned it multiple times. Well, it's about the Shining. There's other clips from other things like that Stephen King yeah. clip. It's it's the Shining theory episode. Jeremy, have we gotten have but we gotten
5: past the the, uh, the the part about the room two three seven?
4: We have not. Or do you just want me to play your song right now? Is that what you're trying to get at? <laughs> just, just in case we miss? Hey, let's take a little breather and hear Jeremy's song because we need to do it now. Two thirty
6: seven is Eric's blood pressure right now. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy,
4: patience.
5: (laughs) What about Room two three seven? What's in Room two three seven? You're scared of Room two three seven. Two, three, seven. There ain't nothing in room 237, but you ain't got any business going there anyway,
2: so stay out.
5: Yeah.
4: Slide whistle. Very lovely, Jeremy. This is
6: somehow gayer than docking with my son. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, you paid. Actually, that was actually uh uh that wasn't even Jeremy. That's actually direct. Uh, uh uh. That is actually an ancient Navajo prayer that Jeremy played for us right there.
6: I was gonna say, wait, are you telling me the Shining's alternate title was docking with my son?
4: <laughs> yes. Yes.
7: <laughs>
4: uh, oh, uh just some oh. other things as we were talking about Indians and now that we got room two three seven out of the way great song Jeremy <laughs> thank you uh I, I could have made it worse I <laughs> uh, Jeremy we know <laughs> we <laughs> we know um, there uh, uh, there's obviously tons of Native American stuff all over the Overlook Hotel uh, they mentioned that uh, that it is buried on an ancient burial ground where they didn't move the bodies they only moved the headstones and uh, uh, Ullman mentions that as they're walking outside uh, additionally they say that many p- famous people have stayed here and as they loop around to the hallway outside of the Colorado room you can see a giant picture of a Native American with his headdress on. uh, All very fun stuff. Uh, On top of that, uh, you know, it being the... the bear uh, being built on an Indian burial ground. uh, they it, it's kind of inferred that the blood leaving the elevators when it hits the bottom floor is actually all of the literal blood that uh, the hotel is built on top of. So,
6: which I think is amazing, honestly, like amazing imagery and very well like thought out. The idea that it's pumping all this blood up out of the depths of the earth slash hell and pouring onto these people, I think, is honestly kind of amazing. Also, the point that particular commenter uh, commentator makes throughout the documentary, honestly, out of all the other ones we see throughout this documentary, I think has the best like backing for what we see in the film of like mm-hmm. why they feels the way he feels. But also, is not a stretch of the imagination. Stephen King, throughout so many of his books, talks a lot about the Indian genocide. We see it obviously um, in Pet Cemetery. Is like a huge part of Pet Cemetery, even in Tommy Knockers, which he would write more than a decade later. He talks so much about that. Also, environmentalism. Like, he cared mm-hmm. about these types of actual topics, as far as like Three Mile Island shows up at the beginning of Tommy Knockers. So, this is not like a stretch of the imagination to believe he would
4: do this. Absolutely. So, uh,
5: also, uh, I, I'm on a, a story of, of uh, Colorado history uh, in, in 1907. It was very important that when they uh built the overlook they literally had to just bulldoze over an indian village and just built right there (laughs) over actual bodies yeah (laughs) for for the fun of it like well you know we're gonna put this we're not even gonna move it but we're just gonna run over with with tack tractors Uh, it's kind of ironic don't you think well
6: jeremy's also not on the wrong truck like it's I'm sad a little bit that we're laughing because it's kind of <laughs> in, a fucked up no, it's in a fucked up way, but also we all know that even in the last couple of years it's come out, both in the United States and Canada, how many Indian children were mistreated in these Indian conversion schools mm-hmm. and then just dumped the bodies on the school ground with no grave.
4: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, horrible genocide. I also like if you think about where the overlook's supposed to be, right? The overlook is supposed to be 25 miles away from everything else. They could have put it anywhere. They had 25 miles of other place they could have put it there. They were like, where's the best place? Right on top of this fucking Indian burial ground right here. Because you know why? Because fuck them. That's what the <laughs> overlook is. Uh, it's a huge fuck you uh, to the Native Americans. <laughs> yeah, just because...
5: Just because it's like some, uh, you know, couple of, uh, uh, Trees with with bodies in them. That that's that's supposed to be a burial ground. They're not even buried. They just give their 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 bodies to the to the to the birds. That's that's true. Uh, that's that's uh, well anyway. They just bulldoze it. I guess. Well, but
6: that is true in some of these indigenous cultures. That yeah, they leave the bodies out to be fed on by like carrion and stuff like that. If Eric was an Indian chief, he'd be called Squatting Bear because of all his poopies.
4: I do make poops out in the woods, um, <laughs> but. Is it it about Indians, or could it really be more about Nazi Germany?
1: A deeply laid subtext that takes on the Holocaust. I think it probably was the typewriter, which was a German brand, which might seem arbitrary, but by that time I knew enough about Kubrick that most anything in his films can't be regarded as arbitrary – I began to see the number 42 appear in the film, and for a German historian, if you put the number 42 and a German typewriter together, you get the Holocaust. Because it was in 1942 that the Nazis made the decision to go ahead and exterminate all the Jews they could and they did so in a highly mechanical, industrial, and bureaucratic way. Of course, Adler in German means eagle, and eagle, of course, is a symbol of Nazi Germany. It's also a symbol of the United States, and Kubrick generally has recourse to eagles to symbolize state power. Kubrick read Raoul Hilberg's uh, The Destruction of the European Jews, and Hilberg's major theme in there is that he focuses on the apparatus of killing. And he emphasizes how bureaucratic it was, and how it was a matter of lists and typewriters. Uh, uh, Spielberg picked that up in Schindler's List, of course. I mean, the film begins with typewriters, um, and lists, and ends with a list, of course. And so that informs, and and I. I had a chance to talk to Ralph Hilberg. He visited Albion College, and he said that he and Kubrick corresponded about this. And that German typewriter, which, by the way, changes color in the course of the film, which typewriters don't generally do, um, <laughs> is terribly, terribly important as a referent to that particular historical event.
4: So, yeah, Adler. Uh, so, was it all just about the uh, the genocide of the Jews hidden in here?
6: Um, can can I be honest?
4: Yeah. Uh,
6: I always thought, I did notice the 42 symbolism, and I always just thought that The Shining was about Jackie Robinson.
4: Yes, this is what it is. Jackoff Robinson. It's um, also the, the answer to the life, the universe, and everything. Yes. Wait, yes. is
6: Jackoff Robinson the new dog? Or yes. no?
4: <laughs> so... Uh, it, I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit just because uh, numbers uh, are part of the madness of this movie. 42 is the first one that came up. Um, there's there's really three major numbers that show up a lot in this movie. Uh, one is the number uh, 42, which we just mentioned. It's on Danny's sleeve in the opening shot. There's actually 42 cars in the parking lot uh, when you're looking at the overlook from up above. Uh, 42 is the year that obviously Germany uh, uh, started the their uh uh holocaust against the jews but also 1942 uh is also the first year a germans launched a rocket into space which we'll get into a little bit later um because there's a moon landing connection um
6: i kind of say real quick i can't take this stuff seriously when guys make fun of girls for making a wish on 11 11 yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it is just very weird for guys to, to be mean to girls and be like astrology isn't real but then let me talk your ear off for an hour and a half about the symbolism of numbers in the china um
5: well, I, I also he put the two uh things from lolita was 24 and 42
4: yeah yeah uh, the yes it, it i did actually put that down too in the novel uh lolita uh the number 42 is used as a number of inevitability and fate well, and I, danger I, I, and malevolence
5: I, and disaster i i also wanted to if you're a big uh clockwork orange fan is he talks about the uh the the, the movie that he has to see for his uh his torture is that uh they, he says, uh, "Oh, I had to, I saw some really bad Holocaust uh, scenes, but you don't see Holocaust scenes because he's just seeing the, the Nazis doing parades because it's like different. It, it's it's making a, a, a thing in the movie, but it right. doesn't see it. So another another uh, uh, dis- But now, wait a minute. Movie, Are you saying so.
6: the number forty two shows up in Lolita?"
5: Uh, correct. Yes, as, as the hotel room. Yes. Well, I was
6: going to say, the number 42 in Lolita, of course, it spells disaster. That's because he's 42 and it's statutory rape. Yeah, there you
4: go.
5: <laughs> and
4: she's 16. The other fun numbers that show up a lot, uh, the number seven, there's seven ups that are always in the uh, hallway that they cross. Uh, the hotel is built in 1907. The picture of 1921, July 7th is the seventh month uh, uh, is the seventh month of the year. as well as 21 is a multiple of seven. Uh, very fun uh, stuff. Oh. Oh, and also in The Shining, the robot is also 1138. There you go. Um, Also,
6: you know, the elevator scene with the blood, my period lasts for seven days.
4: And the other number, which Jeremy, this is where I wanted to play your song, but you really needed to hear it earlier, is two thirty-seven. <laughs> um, uh, which in the uh, in the book was actually room two seventeen. Uh, but why change that two thirty-seven? Uh, if you multiply two times three times seven, also equals forty-two. But there will be more meaning to the number two thirty-seven as we. Uh, continue and on some other theories here. Seven, 17 is
5: also uh, Winger's favorite uh, song. Oh, she's Only 17. She's so. Only
4: 17, which back to, get to a Lolita tie right there. There you go. So, uh,
7: <laughs> <She's> so, <sad. laughs>
4: so uh, uh, I do have another uh, clip about uh, Nazis, uh, the Nazi connection here in, uh, in
1: from room 237. There's a pile of suitcases and in the dissolve into that scene the Seen before, a group of tourists are standing in the lobby and those tourists dissolve into the suitcases. Now, as an historian of the Holocaust, I find that very, very striking and certainly not accidental because he's using those sort of cross-dissolves, that that could be along with the latter where he's trying to make substantive connections as well as formal ones.
4: I also find it rather tally, like when you see that kind of dissolve, it's all of a sudden like the Torrance's bags that they're showing, uh, which they mm-hmm. have way too many fucking bags. It's kind of yep. like this little visual gag that they had there. They're like, oh yeah, we came up in the Volkswagen heels here's all of our luggage, which is <laughs> way too much luggage. Uh, yeah. uh, but it looks uh, like the same pile almost uh, when they dissolve and it just shows people running and taking the stuff off, kind of similar of like, you know, getting thrown out of a train and, hey, we're gonna pick through all your best shit and we're gonna take this with us, see you later. Yeah. Uh, you're stuck here now <laughs> um, can we talk about the most maddening part of this documentary uh
5: I don't know what point of the do- documentary all of a sudden I don't know who's talking all of a sudden I hear a child's voice going eh, rah, rah, like what the fuck is going oh because his kid was in the room yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I-, I was like, what is going on <laughs> yeah. if he hadn't mentioned it I was I was going mad. I'm going mad. I'm mm. hearing this fucking movie, and it's driving me insane.
6: By the way, boys, I know our listeners won't be able to see this, so I'll describe it. I just looked over at my, um, what is this, my Scarlet for my audio. Right. I totally forgot that I'd put these
4: <laughs> on <laughs> I got there like two stickers. years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and wow. Eric's curtains are the same, too. I do. I have wow. shining curtains as well because uh, oh, I'm okay. a shining, happy person. <laughs> um, <so> shiny, <laughs> shiny people,
5: people holding death.
4: Uh, some <laughs> My other... Favorite REM song. Some other uh, some other Nazi imagery that you can see is the dissolve near the end of the movie, where it shows Jack Nicholson, and just as it's panning, uh, like his hairline uh, uh, ends up being right on the other close-up shot of him, so it looks like a little mustache, so he has a little Hitler mustache near the end of it. There, um, obviously, again the uh, the blood in the elevator a sign of genocide. As it uh, it doesn't even open the door, it just seeps out because he can't be held back anymore and be kept a secret. Uh, so. A lot of good Nazi stuff. You know I wouldn't miss one Nazi reference. I always catch them all somehow. I don't know what it I, is.
6: Eric Eric is the Pokemon trainer of Nazism. He's like,
4: I got to catch them all. Gotta catch them all. It's six million Jews. You murdered them. You are through them all. Oh. Oh, my, oh my God. Eric, your sidekick is a Pikachu. <laughs> Pikachu, I need you! Anyway, okay. Uh, <laughs> we, here at, we, we here at Quality Time, we just want to say, we love Jews. We do. We love them. Shout out to Josh Spiegel. He did my hair. Even, even though you're Nazi hair.
6: Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, Josh, hear me out. I don't think you get a lot of puss. If you're looking for some, I'll, I'll sit on your face for <laughs> eight days and nights.
4: <laughs> so uh is this he's, movie about, he's single by the way is this movie about indians is it about nazis or is it just a uh, condemnation about all of history in general
2: the opening sound is from the great funeral mass deus eri which is the day of judgment which announces this is going to be a funeral this is going to be about a judgment on the human race it's about the past
4: so there we go. Um, but I, I do, I, it now jumps us to our uh, my favorite theory of all. Sure, could it be an indictment of all of history and how we're doomed to repeat the pa- patterns of the past unless we learn about them and bring them to light? Uh, or was this all just a ploy with uh, Stanley Kubrick making a fake movie about a Stephen King novel so he could tell us that
3: he faked the moon landing (laughs) involved with faking the Apollo moon landings. In fact, I contend that 2001 Space Odyssey in part was a research and development project for the Apollo footage that was shot. I'm not saying we didn't go to the moon. I'm just saying that what we saw was faked and that it was faked by Stanley Kubrick. And I've had Hollywood uh, uh, special effects people from the 60s and 70s who were Front screen projection experts tell me that I absolutely have nailed the Apollo footage as being the result of front screen projection. Uh, Just go to any Apollo site and look and you will see that they, they have to hide the bottom of the screen and you can always see the set screen separation line in every Apollo footage, every Apollo image and the video footage that has a background. And Richard Hoagland, the researcher, has looked into the Apollo imagery and he has found all sorts of problems with it because in the sky around the astronauts, he's found reflecting lights and refracting uh, things and and, 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 and kind of a junk and geometry and things that are in the sky. And he concluded, wrongly, that there are gigantic alien cities made out of glass. What he's really saying is the the reflections of light off the tiny beads uh, on the scotch light screen, which is being used in the front screen projection process.
4: So, okay, I I, I stopped this clip. There's a little bit more to play of it. But I like when this guy says, he was just like, and I've talked to other people, and they said I was right about this. When You know how that conversation went, and they were like, Yeah, I mean, sure, pal. I believe. I believe it. I be- he, it, they clearly just wanted him to not talk about it anymore. <laughs>
6: but that's but that's what I said at the beginning of this, where I was like, every single person in this documentary was like sucking their own dick. Like I oh, yeah. am the smart one in this room that figured out the conspiracies <laughs> is happening in this film. <laughs> can
5: now, can I can I talk about the biggest uh, uh, flaw of the moon mission? Yeah, it's like worry. man, even though it's one quarter of of the the uh, the size of Earth with gravity, okay, it's gonna it's gonna cost a lot of uh, energy and fuel to get back off the moon versus going to the moon. Weight should be a very important factor. Oh, they made they they brought a car. They brought a fucking car to go on doing doing little little ATV missions with a, with a little car. Like, what is this shit? How am I supposed to buy this fucking weight differential part of the? Oh, we also have a, a camera that that. <laughs> Memes, uh transmissions to Earth. What is? I, I, no, I, I, Jeremy. But
3: wait, gosh. are you telling
5: me you don't believe? <laughs> God, it,
4: it's so fucking far fetched. Like, like, why? Why? So that that now we're talking about the Stanley Kubrick possibly uh, filming. The footage that we believe to be the first moon landing. Okay, oh. um, because listen, there are a lot of problems with it. I mean, we're, we're supposed to believe that they transmitted live from the moon, the moon landing. Also, who put the camera out there? And then And they brought a car. They brought, they, they brought a, a car. car. Um, by yeah. the way, also, I will the the one thing I will say about Stanley Kubrick that would uh, let's say goes against it I think he's a better director based on just the movie 2001 than the actual space footage is uh, <laughs> I, I had I had a wife moment she's
5: like uh, uh, what movie did, did he other make, make like uh, one of the biggest movies of all time called 2001 she's like I've no, I've never heard of 2000 like oh my fucking gosh so my, my wife is like two years younger than me I could understand if you're like 20 fucking years old I was like uh, and she's like oh Oh, a space... Yeah, it's a fucking space artist. I think today's She's never first. fucking seen it. I can understand it because I'm a fucking mega nerd. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, one of the biggest movies second to, like, fucking Star Wars? Really?
6: I think today's the first day that I'm like, you know what? I don't feel bad that I'm not married either <laughs>
5: Hell yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I, 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 You have that moment, like... Uh, Hey, you ever heard of this guy named John Lennon? Yeah, fucking if you don't know fucking John Lennon, then that means you're under thirty fucking years old, you know? I gotcha.
4: I know. If oh only
6: Kubrick gosh. had been shot the same way.
4: Yeah. So anyway. But uh the the basis <laughs> the basis of uh, uh of of fake moon landing goes back to the 19 you know predating the the moon landing itself is like every time you would watch footage from and kubrick was very aware of this anytime you'd see war, footage from world war ii this wasn't scenes from world war ii this was right. hollywood doing little reels that we, were presented as news sure. um and uh and there's a little clip here that i see like
1: world war ii uh, news reels. Like after a while, you you come to realize that that it's all fake. Like that you are not seeing uh, troops storming Normandy. You are seeing troops storming a beach in Hollywood. What you're really being shown is like staged heroism. You know, like you're seeing men moving with machines, but you're not seeing what they're talking about. And I think that that's that's something that that Kubrick plays on. Like, he plays on uh, your acceptance of of visual information and also your ignorance of visual information.
4: So the idea that... um so the the other part of this theory that that it essentially jumps to is the entire scene between Wendy and Jack where they're going up the steps and he's going, do you have any idea about my responsibilities, about my responsibilities in this, uh, which uh, often, you know. Stanley Kubrick would see a scene and then rewrite it that day on a typewriter and say nope I want it read like this Um, Mm -hmm. which people have theorized this was his wife finding out that he faked the moon landing so that he could get funding for movies in the future and that he signed a non-disclosure agreement to never be able to talk about it and what would that conversation be like when you spoke to your wife later is this a real conversation that Stanley Kubrick uh, who maybe doesn't treat women the nicest we'll get to that soon enough uh would have spoke to his wife saying you have any idea about my responsibilities i know what i would happen if i told you something like that and so well it's like I my think,
6: dad yeah well well actually what i was gonna say not to get us like off topic of this specific point but eric was definitely right earlier when he mentioned um about like the example of like breakdown of a marriage is the whole story you know when you look at jack torrance he sort of is this example of a family annihilator um and the idea of this like acting within acting as far as like beyond Mm -hmm. the people playing these roles the idea that wendy constantly even in the book and in the film acts as if no my husband would never purposefully hurt my child no everything's fine at home jack every time he's in front of people that aren't his family pretends he acts as if he's a loving caring attentive partner and he's not you know family annihilators in particular which is so fascinating and amazing about this movie is you think about jack is essentially sort of having this affair with a dead woman in a bathtub but he's having an affair with like the hotel itself like it started out as an emotional affair And he starts being secretive and he's lying um so so there's that but also these are always men when i think of like chris watts for example who was a man that killed his family horribly um this idea that on the surface on social media he's like yeah we're making great money everything's fine at home i love being around my children but then in the shadows he's struggling financially you look at jack he took this job because of money, because he needs to be able to feel like a man and support them while he feels like he has this just like Chris Watts did, feels like I have this stupid, uninteresting, unhelpful wife in the background who's holding me back. Um, so that's that's all that I just wanted to say. I, th- I think Eric was right in, in some of his points earlier about that.
5: I I also wanted to uh mention the uh the uh the Bill Watts. Is it Bill Watts? Oh Chris Char- Watts. Chris Watts character yeah. where he's barely saying anything he's also uh i think he was caesar in uh jesus christ superstar maybe he was pontius Pilate. i don't know but uh also he's also um shoot anyway he's the guy in the office you're talking about watson played by barry denon yeah yeah i i I met him and also (laughs) he plays jacuzo and kentucky fried movie <laughs> so. oh, oh good wow <laughs> look at that and um him, 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 him as the uh the lackey i think the,
4: the funniest
5: uh, far-fetched thing was like oh he kind of looks like an indian
4: he could be an more, uh, indian guy so well so. <laughs> another thing that lends itself to the moon theory it actually does involve mr watson basically saying that in the movie um you look at Ullman played by barry nelson and his sidekick uh played by watson uh i'm sorry the character watson uh are actually the government heads that are you know that stanley kubrick Mm -hmm. might have made that pact with one is uh one is like uh because uh Ullman actually has a, a John Kennedy-esque wig that's on, you know. He, he looks kind of right. like JFK. Um, while you look at Watson, who kind of looks like the emotionless, you know, what people would call the shadow government that watches over us. So basically doing all the dirty work. The smoking man from the X-Files, if you will. Right. Um, well,
6: Eric, would you say that you think if that theory was plausible like do you think that that would then explain sort of why he also did Eyes Wide Shut which kind of is all based Correct. around secret yeah. society behavior
4: yeah his uh, his uh I mean Eyes Wide Shut is almost like the reverse version of The Shining it's it's right it's almost it, it, almost a sequel to it the way I see it um mm-hmm. as you know the, while, St- while Kubrick could almost do anything he ever wanted he knew that there was bounds he had to live within because he could probably get his fucking head blown off just like JFK if he didn't want to play by the rules. And I think that, you know, if we're to believe that he faked the moon landing, which, why fake the moon landing? Uh, I'm not saying that they didn't, but why fake that footage? Well, I mean hopefully to bankrupt our Soviet partners over there right they watch mm. that they're they're spending tons of effort thinking that this is going to be a good thing and we might have known hey it's kind of bullshit up there um, <laughs> so showing right. showing uh, that superiority uh, and you juxtapose that with the Cold War the idea that our secret shadow government which is definitely a thing I mean if we are to believe the, the JFK assassination and things like that these are things that definitely influenced him uh, would have influenced his decision making and why hiding the moon landing within his own movie in this weird subtext was his way of trying to tell us about it. A um, couple other things that are references to the moon landing being uh, faked by the one and only Stanley Kubrick, obviously the tang that's in the storage room, um, the, the number 237, um, uh, which is going to come up again. Now, the, the room key is, says uh, room 237, which... Uh, this one guy theorizes stands for the sound stage number that uh, he actually worked on and shot the moon landing in. Um, The key itself says room and then the letters N O like the abbreviation for number and then two, three, seven. And it can only spell one, two different words, room and moon. So meaning that it could be the moon room is room two, three, seven, if you will. Oh. Um, Oh my
6: God. I want Eric to open his own strip club where he's the only performer called moon room. And it's
4: just him showing his piece weight <laughs> yeah hell yeah <laughs> uh jeremy's now showing us a picture of two people we don't know who they are i'm sure you're going to tell us it's, on our visual media it's, uh, it's bill watson from uh, the shining in kentucky fried movie oh thank you oh. jeremy <laughs> just showed us that so uh also uh, same guy another 237 reference uh the the uh in textbooks uh the moon median uh distance from Earth to the moon mm-hmm. is uh two two hundred thousand thirty seven uh two hundred thirty seven uh, thousand miles away. So there we go. I said it right there. You did it. <laughs> it was a pretty <laughs> so was it all just A way for Stanley Kubrick to tell us that uh, it was a moon landing that he faked years ago and that his wife found out about it. I
6: think it's very possible because, I mean, it took, what, Danny Masterson, seven seasons of that 70s
4: show to tell us he was a rapist. (laughs) Good point. Uh, which brings us to uh, the next the next topic here, the maze. Another deviation from the Stephen King novel. In the novel, obviously, that uh, there are there is no maze that is out front uh, of the Overlook Hotel. In fact, there are hedge monsters that come to life and terrorize the family at different parts of the book. Um, but there are many um, there are many references in this movie. There's Jeremy showing a picture with the, the twins, twins again. I. I don't know if I ever mentioned this Jeremy I love when you do visual things for our audio <laughs> medium it's like my favorite thing you do it's my favorite thing um, you, don't, you don't even have to mention it I'm just showing I do the show and tell to I annoy know. You, <laughs> you, you you can't pay attention and carry on so look the, the maze itself though uh, a deviation from the book is mentioned um, hmm. I, I, is I think <clears throat> okay here let me get my thoughts together here so, what it, I think what the maze is uh, not only the maze outside, but the maze of the overlook itself. Um, there's lots of references to. Uh, um the minotaur if you look at the poster that is sitting in the game room that looks like a guy skiing it kind of looks like a minotaur uh that one's a stretch for me um i could i see where they're coming from a little bit on there uh but the maze it's i'm sorry sorry erica i want (laughs) to
6: converse with you like the idea of the minotaur and the maze because we have a maze in the movie that part i'm like oh that's a really interesting concept but but i feel like these are the parts where we start to see people stretch and really dig for proof of what they're trying to say oh for because sure because when i looked at the poster i'm like i don't I think that's a hell of a gamble.
4: Like I don't think that's actually. It's obviously the Minotaur. I think. I think if you watch it on VHS, it definitely looks like a Minotaur. Um, if you watch it yeah. in anything over 1080p, though, it looks like a guy skiing. Um, but yeah. I think it speaks more to the maze of. Um, just the hotel itself um this is where things like the impossible window come in when you walk into (sighs) allman's office and there's a window seemingly to the outside in the middle of the uh hotel that doesn't make sense um i I love the fact that the giant uh lounge room
5: there is no there are no apartments there's just There's just doors to apartments that should be there, but they aren't.
4: There's nothing, and nothing about that place really makes sense. And uh, you see this a lot when Danny's driving around on his tricycle. You know, if you map this Mm -hmm. out and you're trying to draw it, you're like, oh, he goes around this corner, and now magically he's on the second floor of the building already, looking over. Um, And isn't
6: that the? Can I just say though, isn't that in all of like horror history, whether it's film or book? isn't that one of the most terrifying concepts the idea of being trapped yeah. in a house or something that's supposed to be comfortable comforting mm-hmm. whatever the idea a luxury that hotel you, if you will yeah <laughs> uh, in california um, <laughs> anyways um but no but the idea but the idea that it is not what it seems shirley jackson when she wrote the how the haunting of the, how, haunting the on house haunting of the house thank you sorry my brain is i'm reading it right now but that is one of the most original pieces of horror literature and the whole basis is the idea of a house or a property not being what you expect it to be and doing things on its own as if it has a life of its own
4: which is very cool um but yeah, the the overlook in general doesn't make sense. It's a maze in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, now, what do I think about the the maze in general, the layout and stuff? And because if you if you notice, there's two really there's two themes that kind of go throughout this movie to me. You see the maze that is the hotel itself where you turn corners. It doesn't make sense so much so that even, uh, Wendy says, I think I'm going to need to leave breadcrumbs behind just to find my way back where I'm going here, which is, you know, obviously, uh, reference to Hansel and Gretel, the witches and stuff like that. Um but there's also tons of patterns that make perfect sense, right? The patterns on the floor, the patterns in room 237. There's patterns everywhere. And what I think that it's trying to get at, uh at least to me, is that you know, I think it kind of goes back to the everything we've kind of mentioned before, right? The moon landing, the the Indian, the Native Americans, the Nazis, is that if you suppress um, history, you don't know these things that are happening throughout it. It can seem like a maze and the absurdity of where you are will not make sense. But as you start to realize what these things are, the layout does make sense. It is a perfect pattern and it's one that will repeat over and over again. But while you're in the maze you're lost. You don't understand it because you you lack that knowledge at this point.
6: Well, and couldn't the same then be said of the psychological nature of the movie as far as, like, Jack's alcoholism mm-hmm. almost repeating like a family history, like as far as, like, same with, like, me- mental illness issues mm-hmm. as far as, um, you know, re- repeating uh, you know, the, the alcoholism and, like, the suppression of stuff. Being like, no, we don't have mm-hmm. problems in this family. Everything's fine
4: yeah yeah no i i agree but i think i think it's that suppression right that makes Mm -hmm. it seem like it it's like that the other the other explanation of why it seems so crazy is that you know when things aren't making sense and the continuity of the map doesn't make sense and there's windows that are there is this all just is that the ghosts or is it our our mind's own hallucinations of what's going on right um To me, I think the subtext probably lends itself to just saying you just don't, you're not putting all the pieces together, that's why it seems like this. But that that's, you know, that's my personal, you know, opinion on it. And I, hey, I, it's the fun of trying to unravel The Shining. <laughs> I, I hate to say this is the, the most disturbing film of my
5: entire life because my dad was so much like Jack no, Torrance, I was thinking like, Oh, well, I haven't died. And Eric, Eric re- remembered it's like, "Hey, I'm not afraid of anyone. I can I can still I can be, beat him up anytime." Except Eric wasn't young enough when Dad actually shot a hole in the ho- in the in the roof and I was like, "Oh, and the and the bullet made it all the way through the roof." And, to, mm-hmm. and all he had to do was to make a point to get Mom's attention to shoot a gun in her house. To, to,
4: to frighten her because yeah, he was yeah. a fucking monster. That was our fucking life, you know. <laughs> yeah, Dad was really cool. Um, he <laughs> and he was
5: mean really cool we had to watch a movie like the fucking Great Santini. I'm like, oh, it's pretty much the same as Dad. He's a fucking monster. Yeah, who was in the fucking military and thank God Dad didn't, Dad didn't fucking drink because the one time when he fucking drank. We were like, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. We're going to fucking die. You mm-hmm. know, because he, he if, if all the restraints were off, it might as well have been the fucking shiny.
4: Oh, so. you know, I just personally always accepted at one age, Jeremy, that I was like, oh, death will be better. So then I just stopped taking a shit. It was fun. <laughs> I mean, it was really I, good. I, 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 I was scared for my
5: siblings. So I was like, I, I thank God I can get away from this fucking madhouse. Yeah. You know? He
4: was. Yeah. Uh, dad wasn't very cool i agree um (laughs) at least we went to church in our cults (laughs) hey but after all this seriousness let's take a little thing and talk about some of the gags in the movie
6: (laughs) oh are we gonna talk about how they treated shelly long
4: uh you know we're getting oh. to her real soon was, we're, we're getting kidding. to the we're getting to the big finish soon here um so there are a couple of gags in the movie uh obviously we mentioned before the ridiculous bags uh uh when he goes to meet um his employers on his first day he's also reading a playgirl magazine which i think is pretty funny he's just like oh yeah i'm just sitting here reading a playgirl uh which is I read pretty, it for the articles <laughs> i read it for the articles which uh the articles they show that issue in room 237 uh mentioned things like um uh 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 pedo- not pedophilia but what's the have fucking your kids or whatever incest there you go there's like a thing about incest on the on the front cover like oh cool basically saying that yeah maybe danny was uh physically abused could also have been sexually abused
6: well uh, and i know this isn't funny but it is interesting that you bring that up <laughs> be- well no be- because it is <laughs> it is interesting that in the book at least because i don't really talk about it necessarily like in the movie a lot but it is an interesting piece in the book where i think we first learn that danny doesn't start to really shine until after his dad breaks his arm yeah I think if i remember correctly um so tra- trauma brings out this That's. i mean we find out we find out later in other books that that's essentially how danny gets to know um oh my god i'm drawing a blank is it tony he, he is Tony. We would yeah. we come to find out that his adult self, he's screaming out to his adult self for help, which yeah. is so sad.
4: And it's weird because all the trauma did for me was make me come to violence. That's really weird, you know? <laughs> he got the shining, at least. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the worst thing I think
6: you've ever said on this podcast and I just want to give you a hug
4: thanks man I appreciate it um but uh I did have a uh I, ha- I have another little fun gag from this is by far the kookiest guy from the movie 237 uh room 237 this is the sexual subtext uh oh, and yeah. the paper tray I just love how dorky this guy is he's my absolute fucking
3: favorite here we go and what he did was he he began reading Subliminal Seduction and a number of other books, uh, which were about how advertisers were injecting uh, injecting images, subliminal images, into advertising to sell products more.
0: hypnotic,
5: suggestible trance. Work new way.
3: You know, it'll be an ad for Gilby's Gin. And inside the ice cubes will be various sex organs and things to add a subliminal appeal to the ad.
4: Hey, I don't know what, what it was about that, that ice, but I kind of want to put my dick in it.
6: My name is Ashley.
3: Kubrick went to these advertisers and he asked them what their methods were. And then he took those methods and he applied them to the shiny. Um, when Jack meets Stuart Ullman in the office at the very beginning of the movie and he reaches over to shake Jack Nicholson's hand. And so step through that scene frame by frame, you can see that the uh, there's a paper a, a, a paper tray on the desk. And as soon as they touch hands, the paper tray turns into a very large, straight on, hard on coming out of Barry Nelson.
4: <laughs> Hiding dicks in plain sight. Jerry, Jerry, when you watch The Shining the first time, you'd be like, hey, but, the gentleman's got a huge cock right there. Did you scream out at that part?
5: <laughs> uh, out of all, the, of all the subliminal things, it's the non non subliminal, but uh, the, the thing that, that really. Dad told me about this that I didn't even notice is that uh when the shiny was out he's like did you see do you see uh, uh the, the knives overhead uh, uh uh Danny's head I'm like the fuck and mm-hmm. I'm okay it is it obvious there's there's knives right over at Danny's head yeah but also dad dad was really big proponent of, of that book but also mm-hmm. he was very big proponent about the uh the shadows on the walls in uh the exorcist which is
4: not another big uh, pr- uh subliminal movie so yeah.
3: anyway
4: yeah i mean there's tons of subliminal imagery There's the you know they they talk about the pattern on room 237 that looks like a bunch of pussies and dicks that are kind of going in and out of each other and stuff like that you know it's just uh, it's just i see pussies way. on the carpet all the time yeah yeah it's just you know sometimes you just want to walk on a nice soft muff oh uh, oh by the way if you if you get the uh the uh the Pussy Room
5: Carpet um, Suite, that's uh, extra, extra money. Is a extra suite, money.
4: So.
6: I I combined that movie. It's The Sixth Sense meets The Shining. It's
4: I, I See Dead Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: it's also my favorite movie. Over, they seeing the pussies everywhere i'm the I'm the, the leader of Hawthorne.
6: She she's dead but she don't know she's dead but she's still horny
4: <laughs> <laughs> see when ghosts die they like to come in your mouth it's one of the speed that's what the light is the light is the light and jizz that they put on you constantly and you got to get your daughter away from the light <laughs> I'm a creep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, as as we were putzing a log, this could easily be a three hour episode. I but know. I'm going to try to keep it brief here. Um, we finally get to um, uh, the Freudian takes on uh, and, and themes within the movie with this clip
1: here. There are layers of meaning in the Three Little Pigs, and since Kubrick was a Freudian. And we know that he used uh, a Freudian work in doing the screenplay for The Shining, Bruno Bettelheim's, uh, the uses of enchantment. And it's a Freudian analysis of the meaning of fairy tales. And and in The Shining, we can see the fruits of that when they're constantly making reference to Hansel and Gretel. I feel like
6: I'll have to leave a trail of breadcrumbs
1: every time I come in. <laughs> and the witch in the oven and children being burned and so forth, which of course is also, perhaps suggestive when it comes to the Holocaust.
4: Coming back to the Holocaust again, <laughs> you can never get away from it. Um, so uh, I, I, I play that clip. Jews, Jews are so stuck, stuck about the
5: Holocaust. Oh yeah, that's right. It was one of the biggest. Holoca- it was like the big. It was a pretty the big. Biggest deal. tragedy of
4: it's the hollerin' cost. Hollerin cost the dick hollerin' cost. That's well, the real one. They're totally, they're totally over with
5: that producer's movie with the that
4: musical of Hitler and Hitler. Oh, springtime Hitler. for Hitler. <laughs> So uh this is this is all leading up to uh the, the Wendy theory, which we're probably gonna breeze through. Um, but uh uh this lends itself, I think, a little bit to the Wendy theory that we're gonna get into. It, um is Danny subconsciously murdering his dad? Is there a bit of an Oedipus theory within this? Uh the play the playgirl article about incest, meaning that he was probably more touched than anything. Uh, but was Stanley Kubrick trying to bring a little Freudian end to it by uh having the um the devouring mother, uh one that maybe protects her son from seeing all the horrors, but is preventing him from becoming uh a self-sufficient person. Um I, I think there could be a little bit of this. I mean, um the if you haven't been familiar with the Wendy theory, it's uh actually on YouTube. But I'd like to play just a little clip and this is actually a guy um, uh, this is a uh, a theory that was brought forth by Rob Navarro, um, but uh, the clip I'm actually going to play is from another uh, YouTuber who actually, he's from Eyebrow, uh, eyebrow um, Cinema, and he actually refutes the Wendy thing. I think it's a bit of a stretch, but hey, listen, this is Art, and this is uh, the, uh, what this one particular person thinks.
1: The twins are like his mother's fantasy. Fantasy uh, headspace where, like, they, they're
4: these double blue women. Yeah,
7: would not allow continuity errors, after all. The interview scene and move in day sequence establish both the setting of the Overlook and the film's reality. Whenever Kubrick subsequently breaks that setting's geography, it also signifies a break in reality, and that we're seeing one of Wendy's hallucinations. To cite some of Navarro's examples of broken continuity, The chair behind jack as he angrily shouts at wendy for interrupting him disappears between shots the nightstand between the bed and the bathroom in the torrance's room is missing when danny asks jack if he'd ever hurt him or his mom the storeroom doesn't have the light switch when dick and danny discuss the shining or when wendy drags jack into the storeroom kool-aid cans suddenly appear when dick first demonstrates his shining powers that were not in the previous shot The gold room sign is different when Jack heads to the bar than how it appeared earlier. The colors of Danny's tricycle when he rides around the hotel are different than what appears on move-in day. And the red couch previously shown in the front hallway is missing in the final shot. Therefore, according to Navarro, all of these scenes are hallucinations. And notice too, these are the scenes that most prominently indicate Jack's abuses, The Overlooks Ghosts and Supernatural Powers.
4: So there we go. The idea that uh, this entire movie is really just Wendy who's lost her mind and she's hallucinating all this, which is it describes the intentional uh, um, continuity errors that are throughout the movie.
5: Also, this uh, um, points out the really bad jobs of grips. Um, changing the sets <laughs> yes. during the movie, could, so
4: could just be the bad grips. Yeah, um, I think. So the the Wendy theory. Uh, it makes it it makes it a lot less of a fun movie uh, i'll tell you that uh completely removing all types of supernatural it's all in her head she drags him some other things that are supposed to lend itself is that she drags uh him out in the cold um when she knocks him out which is why he has so much snow when he wakes up on him so everything is all just in her big dumb head and she's really just a super abusive mother um
6: yeah i'm gonna go ahead and disagree
4: (laughs) Um, I will, which I'll let, like, hold on one second, but yeah. I, I, I'd say I probably disagree as well because all the things that are, um, that they're saying is the Wendy theory could also just apply to the hallucinated, hallucinated, uh, Hallucinations of the hotel and the and the dreamlike fugue state often that they go into things don't make sense because supernatural shit is happening so that uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it's happening to Wendy it could be happening mm-hmm. to Jack Torrance could, he all of these things that apply to Wendy easily could apply to Jack's side too um, that he's yeah. hallucinating all of these things it's, I don't think it's Wendy specific but. no I would agree with that because I I
6: get tired of these types of theories again if they're good theories I'm like okay like i'll hear it out one we know it's not true from the book which is the original text but also what bothers me is we've seen this for so long and it's a very popular trope which is to always make women mentally unsound that they are always the ones who are mentally ill and there's a man in their life that's like oh my god this bitch is crazy and it's like no i'm just
4: being gaslit well i the i would say the things that lend itself to the, the things that lend itself to the theory um, I mean obviously you have to kind of throw the book out because that's what Kubrick did right he's saying that this sure. is his vehicle uh, Kubrick also did indeed drive Shelley Duvall to the point of fucking insanity um, so he made which is a very sad she per- never recovered yeah she He actually tortured this woman on set every single day saying it wasn't good enough you're not good enough you're bad just so he could get something interesting out of it um, so to say that that it it's it's part of it i think it is i mean he was a really bad person to her so the idea that it it's a thing it i think it could be you know um i don't like it as much and it certainly doesn't work with the sequel doctor uh, sleep which is a very very fun sequel to this movie so uh you don't have to mention this i'm trying to make it quick is that
5: i'm, I'm a big big fan of uh, the dark side of oz where uh the dark side of the moon with with uh, Pink Floyd is playing with the uh, the the Wizard of Oz, which they they play the fucking reverse and backward version of of the of the Shining, which is probably the dumbest
4: way to see a movie. I'm like, oh,
5: that'll make it more interesting and dumb
4: did kind of want to I did kind of want to watch the uh, the version of the shining where they overlay it playing backwards and forwards because they show that briefly in uh, room 233 and some of the synchronicities that happen in it uh, I would I do want to watch it once like that and I'm curious where's the part where they exactly meet up because they don't mention that in the in the movie I'm like what's the part that exactly where both of them meet in time and they start going and showing stuff that we've already seen but in also, the other direction
5: also while it's probably interesting I don't want to drink uh, mushrooms you while doing that so
4: and no this is not a place to do hallucinogens yes. this- i was gonna
6: say my wendy theory is when she shows her puss at live shows
4: <laughs> so uh that sounds entertaining uh, i know we've gone pretty pretty uh deep into this let's just put a nice bow on this ashley what are your final takeaways from the shining what do you get away from get get from it and uh yeah that i probably should have ended that sentence better
6: (laughs) that's okay i think it's a great documentary 230 room 237 is very fun it's definitely a, a great talking piece which is why eric picked it on one of our favorite movies um you know overall i just think it's such a the movie itself the shining i think is just such a great um Example of sort of just the overall loss of innocence, especially when we look at Danny, where after everything that's happened, you aren't a child anymore. You'll never be able to be one. And, you know, you look at Wendy, she'll never be able to stop hiding the fact that her husband is this person. She can no longer pretend he's anything other than he is. Um, And I I think that's what I find so beautiful and very sad um, about The Shining is complete loss of, of innocence.
4: Yeah. Jeremy, your final thoughts
5: on The Shining. Uh, the Shining, more than any other film, uh, proves uh, that the, the earth is flat. And also, uh, this uh, author is pretty much the same as
4: Geordie uh, Verrill. So Yes, yes. I actually think that this is actually the sequel to Popeye, but it's if Bluto wins and Stanley Kubrick <laughs> is Bluto. Jesus, um, Jesus so- Christ, mean
6: Robin Williams' <laughs> corpse is just haunting this
4: hotel. <laughs> I'm gaslighting you from the grave, babe. Um, so- oh, I'm <laughs>
5: Here's Popeye.
6: Robin Williams is Mrs. Doubtfire. He just pops out with, with the mask on his face. Vis-
4: Hello. <laughs> um, don't speak bathtub. no doubt no, no doubt Spire um, what I will say, though, uh, about The Shining, I was, this is one of my favorite movies, and I love that uh, the great Stanley Cooper made this wonderful backdrop that we could even have all these fun discussions about it. And I'm still, as a person who just watched it today again, just to have it fresh in my mind, still picking up little things that I really enjoy from it almost every time I watch it, wondering how the fuck he did that shot and things like that from just like, why did that happen? It makes me question every part Of it, I would say, um, at least to me, I do really think it is a look, uh, a boil down of all of human history that um, is uh, put into this movie uh, and how we are really all really horrible human beings and we'll keep doing this over and over again. And while I think um, the historian who's in room 237 kind of says, you know, if you realize the pattern, then we can break it. I would say I'd argue that even if you know it, you still just wind up dead in a maze. So, uh, which is why he didn't want to take on things like the Holocaust because he never made one movie because it's too scary to look at. And even if you look at it, you could still fucking die. So, um, that's kind of my final takeaways from The Shining as it is now. Also, I'd say I've always done this
5: podcast of Rome 237. You've always been doing
4: (laughs) broadcast 237. Stop it, Jeremy.
6: You're scaring me.
4: Um, (laughs) Ashley where can people find you at? Uh,
6: On this podcast every goddamn Sunday. You can can find me online at ashleypontiuslaughs.com also on instagram uh you can catch me at the second saturday shit show at the auto bar october 14th in baltimore and you can catch me doing don't tell comedy somewhere in baltimore on the 21st
4: hell yeah check all that shit out uh you can catch all things air comedy at aircomedy.com. i'll probably put the dates up but or either that but everything i'm doing this month is pretty much murder mystery related so go to die laughing productions check that shit out it'll be a good time jeremy take us out of here into your
2: shit!
5: Uh, p- please download my music from uh,
3: reverb.com, uh, Jeremy Woodworth.
4: Shut up. Fuck your plugs.
3: Uh uh.